Welcome to the Hunt, Gather, Talk podcast. I'm your host, Hank Shaw, and I am happy to say that we are going to talk about herbal medicine today. Yep, actual healing things with the plants that are all around you. I am very stoked to be talking to my friend, Rebecca Altman, who runs the excellent website Cauldrons and Crockpots and the King's Road Apothecary. She is a down-to-earth, real-deal herbalist, and we are going to discuss today ways that you can actually use herbal medicine in your daily life, uh, where herbal medicine might work and where it doesn't work. And we're going to give you very good tested tips and tricks and ideas that you can actually use. This is not a woo-woo juju kind of, you know, dandelions can cure cancer kind of thing. Um, this is going to be us talking about plant medicine that actually works. So stay tuned and I hope you enjoy it. One little piece of housekeeping I want to warn you guys about. We had a little bit of a sound problem up until about four and a half minutes. So Rebecca's going to sound like she's in a box somewhere uh, hidden in a horrible place for the first four minutes or so. So bear with us. Um, the sound quality clears up very, very nicely after that four and a half minute mark. So I just wanted to give you a warning and uh, don't worry, the sound, the sound improves and you will be able to hear us loud and clear. So anyway, I am Hank Shaw, the host of Hunt, Gather, Talk, and thanks for listening. And here we go. Hey, Rebecca, welcome to the Hunt, Gather, Talk podcast. I am very happy to have you on the show today. Hi, Hank. Thanks for having me on. Today, I really want to talk about herbal medicine for beginners. And you are one of the better uh, herbal medicine herbal medicine gurus that I know, and you're fun to talk to. So <laughs> I, think, uh, I think it's going to be a fun show. And let's start by telling the listeners uh, who you are, what you do, and, and, and all that kind of good stuff. My name is Rebecca Altman. I am a herbalist, and I live in Los Angeles, California. Most of the herbal medicine that I use is bioregional, and I wildcraft it here in Southern California. You, wrote, you run King's Road Apothecary. I, I run a herbal product company called King's Road Apothecary, and I write a blog called Cauldrons and Crockpots, where I write about wildcrafted food, wildcrafted medicine, and you know ramblings that strike my fancy. <laughs> the nice thing about having a blog, you can write whatever you want. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> I've sort of recently gone back to that after a little bit of period of uh, of dabbling in the uh, SEO, you know, yeah. tail chasing. Yeah, I've noticed and I've been loving your recent posts. Thank you. So I think the first thing that we should talk about is what what are we talking about when we talk about herbal medicine? And especially uh, what we're, our goal is for today is to give people a little bit of a grounding in what you can do if you're a forager mm -hmm. uh, and what is, you know, where what's a good place for herbal medicine in a modern context in terms of, you know, not hurting yourself, actually getting results because mm -hmm. I'm kind of, uh, I'm, as much as I love talking to the woo woo juju, you know, kind of crystal hippie people, they're I love them to death. But uh, there's a lot of people out there. It's like ah, it's bullshit. Right. And and I want to kind of talk about things that we know actually works, and that there's been data, and you know, da I'm, I'm a big fan of data and science. So as are you. So let's let's start with what what would you think is a good way to describe to someone who is amenable to listening to it, but not necessarily know anything about herbal medicine? I would say herbal medicine is basically using plants for healing. I mean, at its very most basic. And that encompasses a whole range of things. It can be, I mean, it, it can actually be the woo-woo things, and you can use it for more kind of psycho-spiritual things, but herbs also have really valid healing properties for physical conditions. So, yeah, herbs also have really valid properties for healing physical conditions. And this can be, you know, a whole range of things from, from things like coughs, the flu, joint injuries, um, to more complex things like, um, like autoimmune conditions. And it, I mean, a lot of these things are scientifically proven. Um, but really the thing that I like the most about herbal medicine or the area that I choose to focus on is using the herbs that grow where I live 
to, you know, for healing. You know, the reason that people get into things like foraging in the first place is, I mean, it's partly self-sufficiency, but it's also to, like, refine the connection to to the, you know, the cycles of nature, to, to the earth, to our food. These, these things are really fundamentally important. So you're doing medicine, and do you also forage for food as well, and you just focus on medicine, or is it, everybody gets, I get it, we all do, you know, all of us who forage seek that connection to nature, and you can kind of choose, and you almost have to choose, whether you're going to go the food route or the medicine route, because there is, it's quite a learning curve, and, and ultimately you can, you can be conversant in both, but right. most people pick one side or the other. There's, there's two ways to answer that. First of all, yes, I focus mostly on medicine, and that is um, predominantly because I have a product business. I should say we can't technically say medicine. <laughs> I mean, I, like according to the FDA and I, th- I think a lot of governmental rules, I think that using the word medicine is actually um, not allowed. But you know, gotcha. for the sake of this, let's just say I, I do focus on the medicinal aspect of you did, you know, you mentioned that you had a product company for that involves, you know, herbal medicine and, and or, you know, the FDA equivalent thereof. <laughs> but clearly your expertise predates the idea of bringing what you do to the public. Yes. It, oh God, I started doing this in 2001. Um. And it's actually it's a bit of a long story, but I was I was misdiagnosed as bipolar after my sister died, um, and I ended up on a cocktail of about five different medications, and I was really really unhappy. And more than that, like I I mean I I was pretty much you know crazy, <laughs> and. I was really, really lucky because my parents called me and I was at university at the time and they called me and they said, look, this isn't you. We don't know what's going on, but you're moving home and we're going to get this sorted out. So I moved back to my parents' house in Palm Desert and went to a psychiatrist and, you know, started getting off all the medications to find out what was going on underneath that. And I started hiking. And I was also, I started doing yoga at the time and I walked into a yoga class one day and this guy just looks up at me and he says, do you want a job? And I had no idea who he was. And it turned out he was a herbalist and he was just looking for someone, like a shopkeeper in his store. And he totally took me under his wing and started teaching me. And he spent a lot of time out hiking as well. And so, you know, we hiked a lot and he, you know, point out the different desert plants to me and I started picking them and then, you know, Googling them and then experimenting on everyone I could get hold of. So that was pretty much where it started. It was this, it was in like during, I guess, my own healing process. And it, it was kind of, you know, that act of going out and hiking every day and working with the plants I was gathering that healed me. And then it was, you know, it was a few years later and I was living with my now husband, but he was my boyfriend then. And I was whining to him about what to do with my life. I don't know what to do. I might go back to school. Um, that's my impression of me whining. And uh, it's, a, it's a good one. It's, it's better than my impression. <laughs> and yeah, he points at this wall behind me where I had, you know, jars upon jars lined up of all of these herbs that I'd been gathering. And he goes, well, I think you know what you want to do. And I'd never thought about it before. I mean, I know it was like I'd, I was spending every spare minute doing it, but it never occurred to me that it could be a career path or that I could use it to heal other people. I mean, in a, broader sense mm. um so yeah that was that was how it started well, that's, that's a cool story i actually didn't know that and uh let's uh, I, I do need to take a little tangent uh i know you mentioned you know your parents in palm springs and and i know some at least some of the people listening to this were like ah oh, damn i thought she was a druid from, from <laughs> scotland somewhere because you say look i didn't keep it i did not <laughs> For those of, for those of you who don't know, uh, I am of Scottish descent, and Rebecca is um, actually you were you were born in how long you were born in Scotland, and actually, how long have you been here? Technically, I was born in London. But, oh, okay. Uh, enemy territory. Yeah, enemy territory. But we moved to Glasgow when I was really young, 
And um, I remember on my first day of school, my brother and I came home from, you know, our first day of school in Scotland with our wee English accents. And we were, mummy, mummy, we don't want to move back to England. We're Scottish now and we support Glasgow Rangers. <laughs> Which is a soccer team. Yes. And and that was it. We were, you know, we were Scottish from then on. And our mum, our mum's Scottish. The rest of our family's Scottish, so... And you moved here when? In 1997, at the end of 1997, after my parents retired, they wanted to move to Palm Springs. Cause if you, that is the most random move ever for someone. <laughs> I know, from, from constant rain to constant sun. I bet they tan well. They do tan very well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. So you went to high school here, right? I did, yeah, my last year of high school here. Okay. Uh-huh. So that's why uh, you're, you know, you... If you can listen to Rebecca, her you can hear it, but it's not as, as super brogy as anyone. Like if you've actually met a Glaswegian, um, it's it's so thick that I would need to subtitle this this podcast. There are actually movies that are set in Glasgow often do have subtitles. That's hilarious. It's hilarious. And I'm like, you, you don't understand this? What? Well, it's like I can understand it, and you know, I know it's it's like people can't really understand uh, Cajun English either, which is sort of this bizarre well, patois between French, Spanish, English, and all sort of. Oh man, it's it, it, it's Southern Louisiana. Can you do an impression? Because I've heard your impressions, and they're great. Oh, I don't know. That's a hard one. Oh. That's a hard. One. I usually I need usually need to drink about six or seven Abita beers uh, to get it, which is the local beer down there. Okay. Uh, so next but time can, you're in Louisiana, we'll do a second podcast or, you know, follow up where you'll be very drunk exactly. and do Cajun impressions. Alabama, <laughs> Alabama is a little easier because Alabama, I speak through the bottom of your mouth. <laughs> the Cajun accent's much more lyrical and bouncy and, and it's sing-songy. A bit. Really? And it sounds vaguely New Yorkish too. Like they say face. Oh my goodness. For, for, for first. If there are any Cajuns out there, can you call me? I'm sure there will. We, I, there are lots of Cajuns who listen to this I podcast. I really want to hear so. this accent. It, it's, it's sort of similar to the people in the upper Midwest who are convinced that they don't have an accent. That's <laughs> so funny. I, uh, I, I actually spent uh, uh, two, two friends from Fargo, North Dakota, came down to Northern California to visit because they were going wine tasting. And they were talking about Fargo. <laughs> and it's, I, they're like, oh, no, we don't have an accent. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> anyway, okay. we digress. Anyway, so I would. All right, first question about. Okay, if I wanted to get involved in, let's just say I know plants or know how to find out mm-hmm. plants. So we're not going to. This is not a basic foraging podcast. If I wanted to figure out what are the sort, what are my first steps? What what's common, and what works? So maybe is there anything in the backyard or the front yard of a typical home in America that is medicinal that you can use to your advantage? Yes, there are plenty of plants. So the, let me think. Actually, one of the best ones that I would say to go and look for, and this for a lot of people is the perfect time of year to do it, is cottonwoods. Um, Cottonwoods, okay. uh Um, And pretty much every species of cottonwood that has the resinous buds at this time of year has really strong medicinal properties. And if you spend a lot of time outside wildcrafting, you probably get sore feet and joints from all of that physical activity. And if you infuse the buds of the cottonwood in oil, just like a regular cooking oil, Just, right? Yeah, well, no. In an, in a, I would use an oil that you would want to put on your body. So you can use something like coconut oil. You can use olive oil. You can also use animal fats, which actually <laughs> absorb really nicely. Hey, Earl, I smeared myself with cottonwood lard the other day. I feel great. Uh-huh. <laughs> that just sounds so weird. I mean, like, but, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, it actually absorbs so well. I get requests for bear fat all the time from people yeah for that reason i've never used that bear fat but i've heard it's amazing i use i've used bison tallow and it absorbs beautifully hmm. it just feels weird slathering animal fat all over your skin it's very um old school in the um bc sense yeah totally old school in the bc sense <laughs> but but you know i mean good to know that olive oil which is cheap and easy to yeah, get yeah olive oil as well 
And what what you mean by the resinous buds? It's I guess at this time of year, if you look at a cottonwood tree, it's covered in these funny looking stringy catkinny things that are because it hasn't leafed out yet, that has it? If it hasn't leafed out yet, what actually it it might have passed the time here in California because I gathered mine a month and a half ago, but I know that in in Oregon and in Washington, people are gathering them now. And you know, cottonwoods in in the Great Basin and in the central part of the country where they also live, they're still in snow at this right. point. Right. So, you... so there, there's time to prepare. And I know, I mean, the further north you get, people are still gathering them in April. But it's before the catkins come out. So, all right. So you said infuse it in oil. And I'm assuming you mean take a bunch of catkins. Uh-huh. No, no, no. The, and... the buds. Before the catkins come out, you've got these oh, little okay. sticky buds. And I, um, I can send you a picture of them to put up. <laughs> Sure, you thank you. Um, yeah, the, the, the little, little uh, wee sticky buds that are, depending on the species, they can be about a half an inch long, and they're all over the branches, and you just pick them off um, and collect them. If you don't collect the very end of the branch one, because that's the terminal buds, it's, it's important for the tree's growth, but the ones along the branch, you can... You just pick them and then, yeah, stick them in the pot, cover them in oil, and infuse them. I do it for about four or five days. Don't you do you heat the oil? Heat the oil. Sorry. What's a good ratio? One to two. So one, say, uh, I don't know, is it by volume or weight? Volume. So, so a cup of these little buds mm-hmm. and two cups of olive oil. Yeah. And you put it on the stove and heat it. How much? I would do it in a yogurt maker or something that can keep a low and steady heat. So you can do a double boiler. You can do, if you've got a pilot in your oven that keeps the oven sort of warm, just stick it in there. Hmm, okay. um, and if not, then you can just, you know, bring it to the heat, let it cool, bring it to the heat, let it cool. But this, um, yeah. You should always be able to stick your finger in the oil, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, be able to stick your finger in the oil. But the warmer it is, the more the resin is going to infuse in the oil. But you don't want to boil it. Gotcha. So, and and do that for four or five days. What you'll end up with is this gorgeous smelling pain relieving oil. And when I say pain relieving, it is like it's magic. I mean, you put it on your feet after a long day, and within minutes, it's your feet feel amazing. You can you know put it on sore muscles, on injuries. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. Have you looked into what's going on here? You know, what's the active principle or what's... I am not the person to ask about that. It's interesting, though. I'll look yeah. it up because, I mean, it's... it's if, if you're... If this is the first thing you talk about out of the gate, I'm going to guess that this really works. It really works. And it's, it's and miraculous. That and that there's something really interesting chemically going on. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of I mean, that's that the, people look at you and go, what kind of witchcraft is this? Yeah, <laughs> Dru- druidic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the the funny thing though is, um, and, and we'll get into this a little bit. Is one reason to use actual plants, and this is why we're talking, is because there's a lot of ancillary things that go along the edges that we don't fully understand. Where you know, in the hands of a very skilled herbalist, you can use digitalis and foxglove. Yeah. Uh, this is a dangerous I, I, one, I, I, but I, I just I just bring, I just bring it up as a point yeah. because uh, a very very skilled herbalist can use the actual flower right. versus the digitalis that is the been isolated and that goes into heart medicine. Right. And so that you've got all of these slightly unknown ancillary reactions going on when you use full plants that you don't get with the isolated. What, what what Western science thinks is this is the sole principle working may not necessarily be the sole thing working. Right. The I mean the other the other side to that is that where a lot of medications have side effects because it's based on one constituent extracted from a plant. Plants often have I guess chemical backup mechanisms, so the the chances for side effects are much slimmer. Unless you are taking digitalis, in which case, you know, the side effect for taking foxglove is death. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, um, I, many, many years ago, I was friends with a guy who was something of a, of a, a wizard of drugs, mm-hmm. of all sorts of, you know, you name it, he knew about it. He was a chemist. 
and he knew how to synthesize or not synthesize, but but to properly, uh, for lack of a better term, drop uh, Jimson weed. <laughs> and Jimson weed is a very common plant in the United States, and it's re- it's responsible for. I would argue, I don't know the stats, but I hear about more fatal poisonings from Jimson weed, also called loco weed or uh, Detura, mm-hmm. Detura stramonium, and we have a different Detura here in California. Thorn apple is another name for it. And it's called Jimson weed because a bunch of redcoats, your people, um, <laughs> came over came over to uh, Jamestown, Virginia, during the Revolutionary War, and they decided to eat a whole bunch of Jimson weed for some unknown reason, <laughs> and they all died. And the and some some Virginian Continental Army guys found them, and they were all dead. And so that's the that's the legend. But but apparently uh, it's used in like full on shaman kind of stuff. I mean, you've got to be a real deal serious herbalist to be able to use this stuff and not die. Yeah. <laughs> and and this guy could, and he's like, ah, you know, it's sort of a belladonna like high, and like. What? (laughs) Well, it is. It's the same. um, It's the same. What is it? The same chemical. Isn't that atropine? Yeah, atropine. Uh, Dredge that one out of the memory bank. Yeah, nice work. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we got cottonwood. Cottonwood, What else is? What else is one? Um, Another one. Common plantain. Oh, the the thin leafed or the wide. Either. Basically, any. It's funny because whenever I say plantain, people go the banana. I'm like, no. no. Well, you're talking to a forager. So. It's true. Yeah, so plantago. Any of the plantago species, one of the best things for skin irritation, bug bites, scratches. Basically, it, it's a wound healer, but it also stops itching. And So it's like a natural calamine. It's totally a natural calamine, and it is remarkable. Like, if you, if you get a spider bite, chew up a plantain leaf and stick it on it, it won't itch. Anything like that, it's totally miraculous. Is there a way to say uh, because plantain? Once, once you guys look it up when you hear this, you're like, oh, I, I wonder if I've got that. And you look it up online. I'll, I'll put a picture of this on the on the notes for the podcast. You'll know that it's a common weed in your yard. In your yard, and you everyone almost needs certainly it. have it. Yeah, I, I, and I as a as a eating forager, um, lots of people say, oh yes, plantain is edible. It's the most boring <laughs> edible thing ever. And it's like, oh, it tastes like a green thing. You know, I mean, it won't kill you, but I did. It's much more interesting as medicine than food. That's very true. It's it's kind of boring as food, but as medicine, it's it's remarkable. And it, it's one of those things that you're always happy to have around when you need it. Um, How do you have it around when you need it? I, other than having okay. live plants kicking. So around. when I when I gather it, I split my batch in half. Half of it, I do exactly what I do with the cottonwood: infuse it in oil. Mm-hmm. Fresh. Um, so, you know, you chop it up, stick it in a pot, cover it with double the amount of oil that there are leaves and keep that warm for five days. And then you will have this bright green oil. Neat. It's gorgeous. And that you can put on any bug bite. And it is remarkable. It really, really, really stops the itching. It's really nice. Um, I, Does it work on poison oak? I have not found it to. No. Bummer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> See, all right. So I know a, I know a, a folk remedy that actually works in the East Coast uh, for poison ivy, poison oak's relative. There is a there's a flower that typically grows right next to um, poison uh, poison ivy called jewelweed. Jewelweed. And jewelweed does not live in the West, nor does poison ivy. But if you squish up jewelweed flowers and and you know, a bunch of them between your hands and get the, all that juicy planty stuff and you rub it all over wherever you think got poison ivy, it will not, it won't erupt. It for somehow, it somehow it deactivates the poison ivy. Well, obviously it doesn't work because it's herbs. So you must be, mm. you must be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that one's a, that one's a classic uh, East Coast, old school kind of thing. And I, do you know of any West Coast version of that for poison ivy? Grandelia. Grandelia. I'm not familiar with Grandelia, that. Grandelia. G R I N D E L I A. Um, hang on. I I know it grows in California, and I'm pretty sure it grows everywhere. But I haven't actually foraged 
anywhere else, so I'm not entirely sure. But I know it, I'm pretty sure it grows in the West. But yeah, Grandelia um, works really nicely it, for poison oak. It, uh, does it have a common name? I think it's just Grandelia. Oh, hmm. maybe. Hang on, I can tell you. I can Google it. Sure. Is it a, is it a uh, is it a flower? Yep, daisy family flower. Um, gumweed. Yeah, it says it's commonly called gumweed. Gumweed. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So what I will do on on the notes for this episode is I will look up this said plant, and um, there's a fantastic database. This is another good piece of information for you guys listening. There is a, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the the plant database. Actually, it's USDA. The USDA has a great database of plants that live in North America, and it 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 gives you an idea of where any given plant actually lives all over the country. And it's a very useful tool. So if you're listening to this and you want to find that poison oak cure, I'll give you the the means to do that. Cool. I want to talk about something that I have done forever. Mm -hmm. And because I do a lot of speaking and a lot of, you know, walking, you know, walking around. (laughs) I do do a lot of walking around, but a lot of of driving around uh, the country. I have been making whorehound syrup. And whorehound uh, is H-O-R-E, not not whorehound, who would be some of my friends. Um, but <laughs> but uh, it is a mint that isn't a mint. Uh, it, it it is a mint family plant. It looks like a mint, but it, if you squish it, it doesn't have that minty smell to it. And it's got thick, fuzzy leaves, and it grows all over the place, okay. all over North America. And I will take the leaves, and again, it's... it's Actually, I tend to do a one-to-one ratio. So one cup of of whorehound leaves and one cup of sugar syrup. And I will heat up the sugar syrup with the leaves. So start room temperature, heat it up until it gets a little bubbly, and then stop. And then let it come to room temperature and let it sit for a few days and then strain it and use it as kind of like a spoonful of sugar thing whenever I have a sore throat which happens a lot when I'm talking, 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 mm-hmm. talking. And it absolutely works. It's it, In fact, whorehound is the primary thing that you taste when you eat Ricola, mm-hmm. the, the throat lozenges. And then people make little candies out of it, too. Yeah. It's really nice. And yeah, it grows you, everywhere. Yeah, do you work with it down in SoCal? Yeah, it grows everywhere here, and I like to, I like to combine it with white sage a lot. Hmm. It's really nice because white sage is also slightly analgesic, and and so it's it kind of combines with it nicely for the sore throat. But you can also you can use any kind of sage because I know that white sage doesn't grow everywhere, but any kind of sage works really nicely with it. Now, when we say sage, we mean salvias, salvia. not art, not artemisias. <laughs> artemisias is a whole different that, that's sage brush, mm-hmm. and we're not talking about sage brush. We're talking about actual garden sage and all their relatives. Although Artemisia itself is very, um, very strongly medicinal as well. It is. And there's there's a Artemisia for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think um, these Artemisia vari- variants uh, grow all over the country as well. They do. And everything from sagebrush to, boy, I mean, I, the East Coast, there's not as many of them, but they're, they're the, the most common one is a mugwort. Mugwort. And then there's a sweet Annie. Mm, that's right. Mm-hmm. I actually there's a California mugwort that is just now popping up up here in Sacramento, and funny you should mention an artemisia mm-hmm. because that one the natives here used to promote vivid dreams, and uh, its its nickname is Dreamweed, and it actually works. <laughs> I've, you know I've never actually tried it for that. I, I well I, just I thought mean it was an old wives' tale. My trick is I will stuff a mason jar full of uh, California poppies. Uh-huh. And 50% California poppies and 50% California mugwort. Now, a little side note, it is illegal in California to pick a California poppy on public land. You can't do that. So I have them all over my own property. So that's how I do it. Oh, that's legally. nice. I sneak onto people's gardens. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, like, just... a, like a naughty gnome. <laughs> <laughs> like a naughty gnome. <laughs> There's a really awful movie in there somewhere. It totally is. <laughs> but uh, you stuff it full, uh, a mason jar full of it, and cover it with vodka, and you make uh, a very, very powerful uh, dram 
to have at the end of the day. Wow. And it's it doesn't taste great, but it actually works. Uh, so so California poppy is not an opium poppy. You should you know, right. I, I mean you know this, but, but people don't. But it's a fantastic sedative. It is. I would say if if Cal, if opium poppy is a ten, I'd say California poppy is more like a three or a four. Where would you put it? I'd, yeah, I'd put it around four. Well, I'll say this: it's with herbs, it's it's slightly different to medications, and a lot of people will try them and say that doesn't work. But herbs need to be much more specific to the the thing that they are treating. So California poppy works really well for states of agitation. And so when you think of agitation, you can think of agitation in the brain, like lying awake thinking, or you can think brain work. Yeah. Or you can think of agitation in the nervous system, like pain keeping you awake. And for things like that, California poppy works so well. It's like it takes all of that excess activity and drops it down a few notches and makes you able to sleep. But if it's, but it's not a Xanax. It's not a Xanax, and it's not an ambient, so it's not going to knock anyone out. And so if if the insomnia is for a different reason or has a different manifestation, then California poppy isn't going to work. But if you are the type of person who does have, you know, brain war or can't sleep because of pain, California poppy works so nicely. It's a really good overall point, too, in that, in that herbal medicine is in most cases, now there are exceptions, but in most cases, it's not, we're not talking plant equivalents to the really powerful drugs that, that you, you know, you have prescriptions for. Definitely not. You know, the, you know, you can make a tincture of willow bark that is a like, like an aspirin, but it's not as concentrated as taking an aspirin. Right. And that's a general rule. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's one of the nice things about it actually, because a lot of, a lot of medications can be really harsh and have horrible mm-hmm. side effects. And, you know, if you take too much California poppy, the only side effect is that you wake up a wee bit groggy and need an extra cup of coffee in the morning. Right. Although I hear you just quit coffee. I did. It took 10 days, and I actually feel amazing now. I don't recommend it for everyone, though. Being a, like, I'm slightly hyperactive anyway, so me on caffeine, um, it, you know, it, it, it wasn't, wasn't a very good match. I guess, you know, coffee itself is a herb. And, it is. and so like I was just saying, herbs need to be matched to specific conditions. And I, th- I think it's a pretty intuitive thing. You wouldn't look at if you had two people and one of them was kind of sluggish and tired and, and kind of slow and one was hyperactive and bouncing all over the place. You wouldn't look at the hyperactive person and say, give that woman a cup of coffee. It's a good point. I was giving myself cups of coffee and, it, you know, it it. it <clears throat> wasn't working very well. So uh, yeah, let's talk about coffee and coffee substitutes for a second, because I mean, it, 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 let's face it. I mean, caffeine is a medicine, mm-hmm. and well, it totally is. You know, just as alcohol is, mm-hmm. and it's you know, this is those are the two drugs that human beings self-medicate with more than any other. Yep. And I've had and I've made any number of coffee substitutes. You know, the the roasted dandelion chicory kind of thing that you see in Louisiana yeah. coffee. And here in California, there's a California coffee berry, which makes a really, really wonderful uh, coffee substitute. That, but, but the problem is none of them have any kind of caffeine at all. <laughs> and even, even Mormon tea, which is uh, the very – it's funny because the, the plants are called ephedra, but they're not like the Chinese ephedra, which actually has – Ephedrine. Ephedrine. Right. So I, I actually find Mormon tea to be somehow uh, about as zippy as green tea. Yeah, I find it slightly stimulating as well. It's nice, like in, in road trips across the Mojave, if you just stop and grab a handful, then you can mm-hmm. chew on it, and it will really help keep you alert for those endless long flat miles. <laughs> <laughs> if, if if you guys don't know what Mormon tea is, uh, it's a really fascinating plant. I'll I'll post a link to it, but it it looks like a bunch of sticks with testicles on them. <laughs> Very small ones. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes three or four. That's hilarious. I I would never have come up with that one. Oh, oh God. I, I don't know what that says about my mind. It's, it means, it's, well, you know, it's a Scottish <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, it's, that's that's one of the very few things that you can collect in this country that 
is mildly zippy. And I don't know of too many others. Do you? No. No, we have a lot more um, sedatives mm. than we do upper type things. Which is, you know, I mean, that's the thing that I hear mostly from people. And it's a fair criticism about any kind of coffee substitute is like, yes, well, but there's no caffeine. And, you know, people are very aware of one of the biggest reasons why they drink coffee in the morning is for that caffeine effect. Yeah, I used to say that it connected my brain and spinal cord. <laughs> <laughs> it still does. Back to the dark side. <laughs> no. What about, you know, I mentioned dandelion before. Is there anything that's sort of overtly medicinal about dandelion? Oh, I mean, yeah. everybody. Those of us who who know who are eater foragers, you know, we know you can roast the root, make the coffee. You can the the young leaves are very good in salads. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can the unopened flowers pickle like capers, and they're really quite good. Mm-hmm. And the you can make a dandelion wine with the petals. Yes. So I mean, there's lots of things that you know on the eating side, but if what is the most effective? You know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna think of dandelion as medicine, okay. What's number one? Bitters. It's a phenomenal bitter. And bitters are, I mean, I think for, for foragers eat a lot more bitter foods than, you know, muggles. Um, You're so, so true. In fact, uh, funny side note, I've been taking a deep dive into Mexican cooking. Mm-hmm. And one of the fundamental things in Mexican cooking is soaking dried chilies. I always use the chili water that you soak it in because it adds, it's pretty and it adds lots of flavor. Virtually no Mexican cook that I know of actually uses the chili water because, oh, well, it becomes bitter. I've never perceived it as bitter ever. Oh, that's interesting. And I routinely eat big salads of, you know, Italian chicories and such. And I don't even notice. And it's very, very true that if you become a wild plant person, um, you know, the Druids as we we are, um, you get a huge... Tolerance of bitter tastes. Huge. That, that, like you said, muggles don't have. Right. But it's actually, it's so important. We have all of these bitter taste receptors in our mouth, um, in our lungs, in, in, you know, different areas of the body. And these, when these bitter taste receptors, especially the ones in our mouth, are stimulated, it actually stimulates secretions along our whole digestive tract. So it's like eating something bitter prepares your entire digestive tract to receive foods. And then you digest everything better. You you know you break all of your food down better because all of the enzymes and bile and things like that are being secreted, and your peristalsis is stimulated. And so you break down food better, and then you absorb all the nutrients from the food better. And so it actually like it, it it's one of the things that it's like it's like a service for your digestive tract. You know, like you take your car in for a service. And it's it's kind of it's a lot like why in Italy you drink Campari on Campari on ice exactly. right bef- before dinner exactly exactly there there there's a whole sequence of Italian digestifs mm-hmm. which are all bitter in some way Fernet Branca is a very famous one oh, I think it's disgusting I don't understand how people drink Fernet uh, this is where we differ <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of Fernet. Uh, I don't shoot it like most like oh I used to shoot it like a you know it's a cook's thing and. Fernet and grappa are the two things that will, like you, you were talking about getting your body prepped for digestion. Uh-huh. If you drink grappa or fernet or something like it after a really big meal, especially a big rich meal, it's like human drain out. It totally is. It just it helps you absorb everything. It helps with that like that super full sluggish gross feeling that you get after a big meal. Precisely. It's amazing. Um and dandelion is one of the best bitters out there. So what do you do with it? Well, you can eat it as you do, but you can also tincture it. Now, defy, t- tell the listeners what a tincture, a tincture is. A tincture is an alcohol extract of a plant, and you can tincture anything. So like the, uh, the, the cotton candy vodka is a tincture of cotton candy. Pretty much. It's a disgusting it's one, disgusting, but it's the but same it, yeah, principle. Yeah, that's what it is. Your your California poppy and mugwort brew is a tincture. So um, with dandelion, what you do is um, you just chop up dandelion leaves and roots clean, stick them in a jar, stuff the jar full, and this is you know it's the it's called the folk method for making tinctures, but it makes a pretty standard one to one tincture. Stuff a jar full, 
cover it with alcohol. You can use any kind of alcohol. I, I like brandy because um, I'm a huge fan of brandy in the first place. Is it just a, a, a personal taste or is there a just reason? Just personal taste. I really like brandy. Um, but you can use brandy, you can use vodka, you can use whiskey. Yeah, cover it and let it sit for four to six weeks and then strain out the liquid and you will have a tincture of dandelion. And then you can take a dropper of that before or after meals. Um, and it's brilliant. You can also, you can take it. A dropper. No, yeah, you just shoot it. I just shoot it. <laughs> I, that's the thing about, like, you see all these, the, the herbal medicine, like, take six drops. Like, nah, yeah, just no, I'm just it. Gonna it's going to take, like, half a shot. I mean. That that should be a, a Hunter Angler Gardener Cook t-shirt. Just shoot it. <laughs> just shoot it and have, like, a, like a, a, you know, a shotgun and then a shot glass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Because yeah, I mean, I when would I mean obviously if you if you did half a shot of, of dandelion tincture, it's going to be pretty damn bitter. It will be pretty damn bitter, but but, but what you know is it, is there anything wrong with that idea? No, I mean yeah, if if you've got kind of constant diarrhea, I wouldn't drink something that bitter because it will just um, make it probably worse because it will you know cause your digestive tract to get moving more. Colon blow. Exactly. Colon blow. Um, I mean, that's like. <laughs> but on the on the other side, but yeah. you know, if you're somehow stopped up, bang it. <laughs> yeah, totally. If you're if you're a kind of constipated person, try it. Try bitters. It will really really help. If you've got kind of liver liver sluggishness. Um, now what is now is liver sluggishness doesn't. Oh yeah, I'm not even. Sorry, I'm not, not even fully sure of what that okay. means. It, so basically, if you if you're having trouble digestive things, if you feel really heavy after meals. If you have um, skin things like acne or dermatitis or eczema, um, I'm trying to think more things. You can get headaches with liver sluggishness. Those are the things I would look for. Generally, it's kind of like it's feeling kind of gross and heavy after eating. After eating. Um, yeah, dandelion works really well. You can also you can also dry it and have it in a tea. Mm. It's really nice. Um, and if you are, if you're going to make a tincture with it and use it as bitters or as a shot to take before or after meals, you can you can combine it with things. You know, throw a bit of ginger in there, or some cinnamon, or something that you know will make it taste slightly better. Yeah, basically make your own your own digestif. Exactly. I mean, people are doing that. Yeah. I mean, if you think about fernet, it's 14 or 15 different herbs. I would love to know what herbs are in it. You know, I always describe it like it smells like your grandma. It totally does. <laughs> that weird witch hazily kind of. Yeah. You know. Now, another thing that a lot of people have easy access to is mint. And I don't know if it has any strong medicinal power at all, but I do know that, you know, as a coffee drinker, I know that I'm fighting some illness when I lose my urge for coffee and it almost always switches over to some sort of a mint tea. And, it, and then... If I'm feeling low, for whatever reason, a, a, a big glass of, you know, a big cup of hot mint tea with some honey in it just always makes me feel better when I've got general coldy symptoms. Is there anything to that or yeah. is it just me? Um, well, a lot of the plants in the mint family have antimicrobial properties. It's all of those aromatics in it. When, you know, when you, you make a cup of mint tea and you hold the glass below your face and inhale and those aromatics... They're antimicrobial, and when you breathe them in, they coat your respiratory tract. Hmm. And so if it's, you know, if it's some kind of respiratory issue that you're fighting, just inhaling them will really help to fight it. And that works. That's interesting, because I've done that sort of intuitively, not really knowing what was going on. That's really cool. I mean, I think the stuff's in our DNA. Our people have been doing it for thousands upon thousands of years. So... <laughs> I don't think I don't think we can lose it in a couple of generations. Um, and any of the mint family plants that are aromatic, they work like that. So if it, yeah, if it's a respiratory thing, you can use mint. You can use you know lavender, sage, bee balm, and sweet sweet Melissa. Yeah. Um, uh, and then there's a bunch of California native mints. Yes, you know, the monardellas. The monardellas. Yeah, I, I am actually particularly fond of uh, coyote mint and uh, mountain pennyroyal. They're both gorgeous. And really, really nice in this kind of thing. Down here in Southern California, we've got desert lavender. Oh, yeah. Um, Isn't that like hypsis or hypsis. something? Hypsis. I sent you some of that, right? You did, yeah. 
Um, and yeah, they're amazing. You can, if it's a respiratory thing, you can make, uh, do a steam, like boil a pot of water, throw a handful of your mints in there, hold a towel over your head and just inhale all of those antimicrobial aromatics. You do that a few times a day and you won't, you know, it won't take hold if you start doing it early enough. There's been this horrible respiratory thing going around here. I don't know if it's been in Northern California too, but it's, you know, it's like three weeks of constant green, green gunk coming out of people's lungs. Mm, I know. Delicious. Really nice picture there. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but I found that people who've been doing the steams aren't getting sick. Interesting. So it, it, I mean, I guess you could describe it as a, you know, uh, a, a cheap, inexpensive Vicks VapoRub. Exactly what it is. Um, but, more than that, if you're talking about things like the flu, the mint family plants are what's known to herbalists as diaphoretics. What that basically means is it heats up your body and it makes you sweat. Hmm. Um, so when you are, so if you get, you get a virus, um, what your body immediately starts to do is heat itself up. Uh, my friend Jim McDonald, the herbalist, uses this analogy of an unwanted house guest, and what you want to do is just crank the heating up so much so that they leave. Um, it's kind of the, I mean, a lot of us know about the idea of breaking a fever by putting on a pair of sweats and then jumping under the cover so you sweat it out. Right. And so the mint family plants, what they do is they help that process. So you huh. still put on the pair of sweats, still jump under the covers, but if you make yourself a cup of mint tea, what it does is helps it helps you to break the fever. And you'll find yourself really sweating after you drink it. And you can mix other things in there. And most of the other mint family plants work in this way. All of the ones that we discussed before for the respiratory tract work similarly. Elderflowers mm, okay. are amazing for that. And yeah, it's one of the best things you can do when you start to get sick. What about elderberries? I mean, you hear, you see the little teeny vials of the stuff, like uh, Sambucol yeah. and all that kind of thing that are ridiculously expensive make and, you your know, own <laughs> isn't it just isn't it just elderberry syrup it's elderberry syrup so you basically i mean i have a recipe for elderberry syrup on my on the website with it, which i'll post in the notes but dude it's like uh cook some elderberries it's drain out the liquid so and mix it one-to-one -one with sugar yeah and you can and it does it never goes bad i have a i have a quart of this stuff from 2013 sitting in my fridge and it's perfectly fine it's amazing and i've got i'll send you a link i've got a recipe on my blog for an elderberry elixir which is a it's basically a tincture with honey as well as the alcohol oh yeah it i mean is, i i just call it liqueur yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> it's it's amazing it's probably it's one of the best things you can possibly do for yourself when you're fighting sickness and i've you know i've so many people who take it when they're you know teachers or you don't say stewardesses anymore, do you? That's not politically correct. The sexy stews. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm watching Mad Men these days, and you know it's sort of the era of the sexy stew. Oh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, it it stops you getting sick if you catch it early enough, and if you if you don't catch it early enough, but you still take it, it dramatically, dramatically lessens the length of the sickness. And this has been, I mean, in clinical studies, this has been proven over and over again. I think there was a study they did about ten years ago where they gave two groups of people the flu, which sounds like the worst study to be in ever. I know. <laughs> I hope they got paid. I know, more. right? All college kids know yeah. that. Um, one half of them, they gave nothing, and the other half, they gave elderberry. And while the flu, it usually has you out for about seven days, the elderberry group were all better in three days. And there's so many studies on this. It's really, really brilliant. And it grows everywhere. It's so easy to use. You can use um, the flowers and the berries are both really strongly medicinal in this way. And I, I think everyone should have some at home. And I think my favorite ways to do it, I mean, here in Sacramento, it's our dominant fruit, that and blackberries. Mm -hmm. And you know, so I only, every year I'll put up a mason jar full of liqueur. It's again, it's the same method we've been talking about the whole podcast, which is stuff a mason jar full of elderberries and then dump vodka all over it yep. and seal it and forget about it for a while. Every few years I'll make an elderberry wine, which is an entirely different thing, but and then you make the syrup. And if you, you know, I don't like to really talk about taking elderberry as much as having a sip of, you know, elderberry liqueur at the end of the day. Or if you're in the middle of the day, I like to pour maybe, I don't know, two or three tablespoons in the bottom of a pint glass and 
Covering it with seltzer water yeah. and some ice and drinking it as an Italian soda. I do that with, um, I'll make an elderberry shrub and I actually, I made one. And that's got vinegar it's, in it, right? It, yeah. So you, you do the same thing as a tincture, but you cover it with vinegar, say three quarters vinegar and one quarter honey. Oh, okay. And I forgot about it for three years and pulled it out and I was like, oh, cool, found this, tasted it. It was, it tasted like, like balsamic vinegar. It was stunning. Hmm. And so I do that. I do the same thing. I cover it with seltzer water and just drink that throughout the day, especially during flu season. Um, I'm not, I know that I, I'm a herbalist and I should be very good at taking herbal medicine, but I'm terrible at it. So I'm always trying to find ways to, I guess, incorporate these things into my life without it being a process. Right. Right. I mean, for when I travel, I fill my flask up, you know, with a, with the elderberry liqueur and I have that in my check bag. <laughs> Uh, and then, or I'll, I'll do a, a plastic, cause I don't want to get cracked, a plastic jar full of the, um, of the syrup to make my, you know, mm-hmm. and if I'm in hotels, which I am a lot and I'll just dump some of it in a, in a little glass they give you and pour the rest of water over it and just drink that while I'm watching sports center. I keep it in my carry on in a two ounce dropper bottle. <laughs> See, that's very, that's very dainty. It is very dainty. <laughs> Big old flask. I know. <laughs> You've got your flask. I've got my dainty dropper. Well, I mean, I think I travel more than you do, That's too. True. So, I mean, there's got to be sort of something that I've you've been dying to talk about that I haven't mentioned yet that, that people should know. And that's easy and that's effective and that's that would would make their lives a more enjoyable experience. Make their lives a more enjoyable experience. Between bitter, Thank between bitters and elder? Hmm. Any, what about Rose. You seem to love, love rose stuff, and everybody has access to roses. Everyone has access to roses, and um, with roses, if you don't have access to wild roses, look for roses that are incredibly fragrant. Our wild roses here in California are so fragrant; even the leaves smell like rose. And if you you know you walk past a rose patch in the middle of the summer, and you can smell it before you see it, um, even if it's not flowering. And I, I do the same thing; I tincture it. <laughs> Or make a liqueur, as Hank would say. Um, <laughs> rose is with the petals, or the or the hips, or the leaves, or I any. use everything. So I'll I'll gather the fragrant leaves, the flowers, and then I'll go back a couple of months later and gather the hips and add them to the tincture. But you can just do the flowers, or the, if the if or if the pe- uh, if the leaves are fragrant, use those. So basically any of it, but use the most fragrant parts. And other than being like the greatest Valentine's sipper ever, uh, what what would you use it for? Irritation. Like when you're watching politics? Yeah. Or like when you're <laughs> stuck in traffic and it's been an hour and you've only moved a mile. It kind of unwinds the tension. So, you know, like that feeling when you've been sitting there and it's hot and you're irritated and frustrated and it's like you've got all this tension in your diaphragm area. Have you experienced this? Oh, the tight chest. The tight chest. Yeah, that's exactly it. So Rose unwinds it and you notice it pretty quickly. Like within a minute of taking it, it's like something in there unwinds and you can take a deeper breath and you don't feel quite as irritated. And it's really, really nice in in the summers when, especially here in Southern California, when it's so hot and so dry and everyone is angry. It's just it's amazing to just take it. But it's also it's really nicely cooling. And mm-hmm. like systemically cooling. So in in the hot summer, when you're feeling gross and overheated, you can drink rose tea and just, you know, with rose petals. Now, can you do like a sun tea with it? Yeah. And then, you know, can you and drink it like an iced yeah, tea? Yeah, you can totally do that. Because, um, you you know, I, I the last thing I want is to in, drink hot you know, tea. 100, 107 degree heat in Sacramento right. is to drink hot tea. Yeah, but you can do a sun tea. You can combine it with hibiscus. That's mm. a really nice combination because hibiscus is also really cooling slightly moistening which is nice for you know for the hot dry summers but um yeah make a make a tea I, what i do is fill a quart jar I, i'll do like a an ounce of combined hibiscus and rose and i'll also use a bit of marshmallow we have to buy a marshmallow right yeah but you can use any of the mallow family plants which hibiscus is oh, one okay. already it's in it's in the mallow family but you can use um Malva neglecta. Malva neglecta. You can use. Oh my god, my brain's saying whorehound, and it's not whorehound. No, there's like a bull, big bull mallow too. Yeah, it's, the bull mallows, I, the desert mallows. 
Uh, oh yeah, that's right. That's a pretty plant too. Yeah, now, ma- now when we're talking marshmallow people, we're not talking about the white cubes. No, not um, the white. <laughs> those, those were originally made with marshmallow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and marshmallow is actually fairly difficult to obtain. But the the mallows that we're talking about right now is a very 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 common, common. Uh, lawn weed. There's a real good chance you've got it either in your yard or in somebody else's yard. Yeah. And I'll I'll post again. I'll post something to yeah. Malva Neglected. Hollyhocks are another good one. Um, they're also in the mallow family and they're really moisting. And you'll find if you um pick one of these leaves of any of these mallows and squeeze it between your fingers, it's slimy. Right. Mucilaginous. Very nice, Hank. Um, <laughs> and so think about think about the hot, dry summer and how like disgustingly irritating it is. And then think about what happens when you drink a jar of like cooling slime, because that's basically what. Happens. Wait, 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 wait. I'm 95 percent sure. I'm not 100 percent sure that most of the people <laughs> listening to this just got the heebie-jeebies when you said <laughs> drink a glass of cooling slime. Okay, fine, I take it back. <laughs> But it is slightly slimy. It is. It is, but, but that's is, that is not a selling point. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> I will not call it cooling slime. Please don't dismiss the mallows just because I said slime. It's moistening. Can I say that? You can. I mean, I, I've I've cooked with mallow, and it does get a little bit uh, snotty. Oh, um, snotty. To the you can call to it the snotty. point. Nobody's going to want to eat that. Well, yeah, that's why I don't cook it like that. <laughs> In fact, what I do with mallow, and this is, again, this is the eater forager guy in me, is I will take the leaves, dry them, and powder them, and it is the it, it works exactly the same way that sassafras leaves do for filet gumbo. Oh. And if you're not familiar with filet gumbo, that's what Cajuns use to thicken etouffee and, and, and gumbo, and it's the... It has the same mucilaginous quality that you (laughs) snotty and uh, (laughs) that will thicken. But it's also uh, filet means ropey. So if you put mallow or filet into your stew in the beginning, it forms these gnarly, snotty ropes. Snotty. Oh, it's just so disgusting, which is why you put it in right at the end. Oh, well, with mallow. Yes, mallow or filet. Mallow, yeah, or any of these mallow family plants, if you add a little bit to your infusion in the summer, if you're feeling overheated, over irritated, and super dried out, which happens to people who tend towards dryness in the first place, you know, dry skin, like dry, dry lungs, dry eyes, things like that, dry sinuses, adding a little bit of mallow to your drinking water, it is such a relief because it's watery. Basically, it's like, you know, like jumping into a big, cool pool of water when you're, you know, in the middle of the desert. And it goes so you squash up a leaf body. and cover it with ice water. Um, yeah, well, I would I wouldn't cover it with ice water. I would put it in a jar, cover it with water and then leave it overnight in the fridge. And then the next day it will be um, ever so slightly mucilaginous. Thick. Thick, thick, yes, a little thick, a little thick, but it's it's it feels incredible, and so you can combine that with the rose or hibiscus flowers, and it's a really really nice summer drink, which I, I, it's probably hard for people to think about right now when it's I know. <laughs> snowy, but it, you know it was ninety degrees here last week. Yeah, I mean it's been warm up here too. Oy. So with all this talk of potions, were you sad that Severus Snape died? I was gutted. I was so sad. I you know I mean I I'm too old to have grown up with Hogwarts but I love the stories and there is something pretty attractive about this whole process of not only foraging for food but also foraging for an apothecary and it is a little bit of it gives you a whiff of what Severus did in in, in right. Harry Potter I think what people um, don't realize is it's, it's not an all or nothing thing. It doesn't mean that you need to be, you don't need to be a herbalist. You don't need to have a full apothecary, but having a few remedies that you know how to make, it's hugely empowering. I mean, it, it means that when, you know, if you if you if something happens to you, it means that you don't need to necessarily go to the doctor for everything. And it, it gives you the tools to deal with these things on your own, which is you know, it's, it's why most of us get into things like foraging in the first place is because we want to be more self-sufficient. We want to have more of a direct connection with things instead of, you know, 
having the middleman of the grocery store. Or the, or the you know, big pharma. Right. So it's hugely empowering, but it's also something that people have been doing for millennia. Um, <laughs> Longer than we've been up. Right. I mean, it's interesting to note that um, chimps and the great apes all self-medicate with herbs as well. Right. So this goes back a long, long time. Right. We, <laughs> I think we diverged from the great apes somewhere around six million years right. ago. So, yeah, it, yeah, each each plant. Yeah, and it's incredible. And it's, not, and it's also not an all or nothing thing in that, you know, herbs don't heal everything. Right. Like, you know, if you're in a car accident, go to the hospital. If... If if you've got stage four cancer, go to the doctor that, you know, there's obviously lines. But when it comes to simple things that, you know, cuts, scratches, flus, coughs, things that people have been using folk remedies for forever. It's really I, I think it's I think it's kind of our, our birthright as human beings to be able to heal ourselves in this way. And it's and it is it's. It's a wonderful reminder that the, the the world around us can heal as well as make us feel nice when we walk through it or give us a, a lunch. Yeah. It's also a nice reminder when looking at things like Jimson weed or Digitalis that the world around us can kill us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the last thing I want to talk about before I let you go okay. is if somebody wanted to get started with this, are there any books that you recommend or forums or or how would somebody start their education along this route? The first thing I would say is to find a field guide. Just as just you know, just as if you were getting started foraging, find a field guide for your area of medicinal plants. If you're in the West, there are three books by the late herbalist Michael Moore that are completely indispensable not to be confused with the big fact no not to be confused um but there's uh, medicinal plants of the mountain west medicinal plants of the pacific west and medicinal plants of the desert and canyon west and they are they're amazing i mean he goes into you know where to find things how to identify them and their medicinal medicinal properties he's also funny and great to read if I remember right, he's also very, very even keeled and down to earth, and he he's the one who basically outlines like, look, dudes, this is not you know going to send you to the astral plane. This is sort of solid, tested knowledge. Totally, and he'll also say like, I've tried this. It it's it only works a little bit, but it's you know it's better than nothing. Or you know he's he's really, really, really down to earth in that way, and um, he he was an incredibly knowledgeable man. But there are because I live in the West, these are the ones I know, but there are different field guides for different areas. So I would look up books, but I would also get online and look for herbalists in your area, Western herbalists. Um, because as a community, we tend to be really kind of open and happy to talk about this stuff. There's usually, there are usually teachers in, in, in all parts of the country, all parts of the world. There are online courses well, at, right, I'll let you go, but uh, before you go, uh, tell everybody where they can find you. You can find me at www.kingsroadapothecary.com. Or at uh, Cauldrons and Crockpots. Oh, Cauldrons and Crockpots, and the link to that is on the Kings Road Apothecary site as well. And I'll uh, I'll provide both links in the show notes. This is cool, because I, I do so much with hunting, and I do so much with fishing, and sort of manly things, and <laughs> rah, rah, rah. And, and Are you saying that herbalism isn't manly? No, but I'm saying that like the dude who's you know climbing up to the mountains hunting elk may or may not be uh, be knowledgeable about this aspect of the wild world. Well, and, and I wonder when he has been bitten on his bum by a mosquito while waiting to hunt an elk, he'll be really happy when he finds a plantain leaf. Exactly. This is which is thus thus this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. Take care. Bye. Well, that's our show this week. Thanks, as always, for listening to Hunt, Gather, Talk. I am your host, Hank Shaw. And as I say every week, if you can, please leave a review or subscribe to the Hunt, Gather, Talk podcast via Stitcher or iTunes or whatever platform suits your fancy. It really helps me a lot, and I hope to hear from you next week. Thanks again for listening. Bye now.